Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome to The Stacks, a podcast about books and the people who read them. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas. This episode, we are joined by W. Kamau Bell and Kate Schatz. W. Kamau Bell is an Emmy Award-winning comedian and TV host who helms United Shades of America on CNN, as well as the man behind the We Need to Talk About Cosby documentary series. Kate Schatz is a New York Times bestselling author, feminist activist, and creator of the Rad Women book series, a children's book for everyone. They are the co-authors of a brand new book called Do the Work, an anti-racist activity book. It's an illustrated educational workbook for adults, which offers a fresh and very interactive approach to understanding systemic racism and the methods for dismantling it. Quick reminder, everything we talk about on today's episode of The Stacks can be found in the link in the show notes. And our book club pick for August is How to Write an Autobiographical Novel by Alexander Chi. We will discuss this book of essays on August 31st with Ingrid Rojas Contreras. If you love this show and want more of it, head to patreon.com slash the stacks to join the Stacks Pack. If you join, you get access to our virtual book club meetups, the Stacks lively Discord chat, and our monthly bonus episodes. Our most recent bonus episode was with Tia Williams, author of Seven Days in June. We talk about romance, soda water, and so much more. So if this sounds like something you'd be interested in, or you just want to show love for this Black woman-run indie book podcast, head to patreon.com slash the stacks to join. I want to say a huge thank you to our newest members of the Stacks Pack, Lacey Ward, Moni B, Sarita Gonzalez, Sarah, and Crystal Armstrong. Thank you all so much. And of course, thank you to every single member of the Stacks Pack. Now it's time for my chat with W. Kamau Bell and Kate Schatz. All right, everyone, I am thrilled to welcome co-authors today to the show, Kate Schatz and W. Kamau Bell. They are the authors of Do the Work, which is an anti-racist activity book, which I'm very excited to talk about. Welcome to the Stacks. Thank you so much. Thank you. Really excited to dive in. Um, Before we get into the nitty gritty of everything, will one of you take about 30 seconds to tell us what this book is about? No. (laughs) Come on, do it. We're it's off you. to a great start. <laughs> <laughs> I like to make things hard sometimes. Uh, do the work is an anti-racism activity book for grown-ups. 
the way I think about it is like as an adult, if you ever go to a dentist and if let's say you're taking a kid to the dentist and you see a highlights magazine, you pick it up because you're like, what's going on in highlights magazine these days? <laughs> this is that, but for anti-racism. So it has that same feel of like maybe an activity book you did as a kid that was fun, but it's actually for anti-racism. Perfect description. I have to admit, I was very skeptical about this book. When I heard about <laughs> I would hope it, so. mm-hmm. when I got it, I was like, I don't know. Do we need this? Mm-hmm. Like, it's a little cute, you know, whatever. But I got it. I was like, yeah, send it to me. Let me let me just see what's up. I had a really good time. I was really surprised by how much, you know, actual history was in the book. Actually useful things were in the book. And I was taken by how much fun I was having. You know, I was like, oh, I'm worried it's going to either be really fun and like, a waste of my time, or it's going to be like not nearly activity book enough for me. But you both struck such a great balance. So I'm wondering from that point of view, how did you work together? How did you find balance? Mm. Well, I'll just say thank you so much. It's really satisfying to hear. (laughs) You know, I think, I think Kamal would agree that for us, like the most meaningful feedback is from people who are skeptical of a book like this <laughs> and who pick it up and are like, oh, okay, no, they they did a good job. Um, yeah. You know, our, our tagline with the book all along has been that it's funny, but not fucking around. And <laughs> <laughs> you said we could swear. So <laughs> yeah. Oh, please. You can. So I think that the whole process of creating the book, we were really walking, um, not just walking a fine line. I actually kind of feel like in a way we were zigzagging back and forth across the fine line over and over of being funny and silly and playful and also incredibly serious um, and straightforward and direct because the topic, the subject matter is deadly serious. Yeah. And why, why did you want to do it this way? Uh, I mean, it really came out of 2020, you know, George Floyd is murdered on television by Minneapolis police. Me and Kate are both in a business where when racism happens, people reach out to us to explain it from her white lady perspective and my black man perspective. So I was being asked to explain racism a lot. I got booked on more talk shows quicker than I ever have in my career. Like suddenly I was uh, every talk show host uh, black friend, which is fine. It's my, it's, I get paid for it professionally, so it's fine. But also I saw all those books and we talked about the books that went to the top of the bestseller list that were sort of like in the racial reckoning, the so-called racial reckoning. And I just felt like, and we talked about this, that like, People are buying those books, and those are all great books, but are they going to read those books? And after they read those books, are they going to know what to do in their community and in their neighborhood and in their house and with that uncle at Thanksgiving? And so really, we saw a need for like a companion to those books. Like, you know, not this is not to replace those books. Like it, It's like a, no bad ideas in a brainstorm. No bad ideas in a trying to create anti-racism. Like, so this was like, these, this, is, this is doing some of the work and this is doing another part of the work. So that's how it came together. Yeah. Using the format of, of activities, using stuff that's familiar, using humor. You know, it's again, it's another way to get an audience, a potentially reluctant audience to engage with difficult subject matter. And also, you know, we learn best by doing you know, that's why that's, I think most elementary school and middle school and high school teacher educators would tell you, like, creating interactive, engaging lessons is how kids learn. It's how adults learn, too. And so we're like, in an activity book, you are literally doing work. Like, you have to engage with the ideas in it, like, with your hands. You have to write stuff. You have to figure stuff out. And it challenges people to grapple with the material, I think, in a way that just sitting back and reading 
uh, and receiving the information maybe doesn't always, um, you know, fully take you there. Yeah. I love the question of did people actually read those books? And I don't know if you saw, but people didn't actually pick up a lot of those books from the mm. bookstore. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, those, a lot of those got returned and a lot of them didn't get finished. And, you know, well, a lot of them just became Zoom backgrounds. Yeah, <laughs> truly. Uh, I once had a I once got in a fight with the person that I went to college with about racism. Shocking. <laughs> Sounds fun. In, in September 2020 via Facebook. Ooh. I immediately Ooh, quit Facebook, Facebook after. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say you should have been off Facebook. They, you're, I, you're... <laughs> I've been off. I'm I'm clean of Facebook now. But the highlight of the conversation for me, a person who works in books, you know, I've been doing this for a while. I work in books. I talk about books a lot. I suggested perhaps that this person should read a book about, you know, voter disenfranchisement, et cetera. And this person said to me, and this is not a joke, and I wish it was, they said to me, I can't believe you'd insinuate I don't read. I have read The Nickel Boys and Little Fires Everywhere. And I was like, I'm dying. Like, I... Mm. Imagine it's just like, oh, you can you don't even have to read a book about the thing. You could just read a book by a person who is not white and you are an expert yes. on anti-racism. So wow. I feel like you guys. Oh, I completed my anti-racist reading challenge. I'm done. <laughs> yeah, I read Little Fires Everywhere, of course. <laughs> and I watched the, the show. essential text. <laughs> you know, I, one thing I would add to Tracy is that, you know, again, when you talked about like how specific the book is that like it was engaging it has all this information i i think that you know there are a lot of incredibly powerful scholarly academic you work you know books about this content and we're drawing from those you know we're building yeah. on what those what those authors and thinkers have been doing for a long time and, you know a lot of those folks that shot up the bestseller list it's not like they like released their book in May 2020, you know, right. to, to be on trend. Like, that's the work they've always been doing. Um, but I have seen, you know, I think there are a number of other kind of like guides and how to be anti-racist books out there. And I think sometimes for me that I find, like, I like really specific things. I like mm -hmm. really clear, then I was an educator for a long time. So I like things to be very specific. I like clear examples. I And sometimes, you know, talking about like just doing better and learning more and, you know, it can feel a little... Um, hard to grasp for people. So again, with this book, we wanted to just make it like, here is a whole bunch of really specific things that you could actually do. <laughs> uh, How did you pull those things together? Because that's another thing that I liked in the book. There's actual actionable items. I mean, towards the end of the book, there's a lot of them. You lay out a bunch of different things like you can do this in your house. You can do this to yourself. You can do this with your community. How did you actually create what was like, what, did, what were you drawing from? Our, you know, our joke with that, since I know that you have um, young, very young children, I was talking about how when my kid, my first child was a baby, I would get all those like how to make your baby sleep books. Uh, <laughs> and they're like 400 pages of research. And I would be like, just tell me the part where my baby sleeps. Like, I want to sk <laughs> skip to the part. I don't actually care about all the studies. How do I make her not wake up all night? So that was our joke in that part of the book where you pull out a giant poster that's just a giant list of things to do. Like, look. I hope you read the whole book, but if you want to just skip to the part where we tell you what to do, uh, it's it's at the end. Um, and to, yeah. to, to compile that, we did a huge brainstorm with people in our community. We crowdsourced that. We were like, okay, everybody, help us out. What are specific things that you can do in your community in the world to make a difference? And who are the people that you called on? Which people in your community? Or what kinds of people? I mean, it was really like 
there are people that we know immediately, like personally. So I knew that like Alicia Garza would be a reference because I use her as a reference in life. Like the, mm-hmm. the day the Instagram squares all went black or <laughs> for racial justice. I was like, Oh my God, I missed a meeting. Oh, I'm <laughs> such a bad anti-racist. And I texted her and she was like, I don't know what this is either. And I'm like, okay. All right. If she don't know that this ain't real. So <laughs> there are people like that, that like, uh, like that I've met through my work, uh, professor Nikki Jones from Cal Berkeley, does the does the uh, five things you should know about policing is somebody that I met <laughs> actually after I got kicked out of a coffee shop in Berkeley because uh, I was talking <laughs> to my white wife. And uh, and then I put her on United Shades, basically doing the same exact version of that. Like, tell me about breakdown policing. So for me, there's just been people that I've met through the work that I've been doing that it was a great way to sort of to go back to them and go, hey, you know, that thing we did on the podcast or on the TV show. Now, can you help me figure out how to do this in the book? Mm. I want to talk about audience. You lay out very early on in the book that this book is really aimed at white people. You know, you say like, if you're not white, you could enjoy it. You might like it. Check it out. You probably know a lot of this stuff, but you know, you're, you're very clearly state who your audience is. Was that a difficult choice to make? How was that something that came to you quickly early on? Like, how did you know who you wanted to write for? Like, Kamal, you want to take, you want to start with uh, that I'm one? Happy to take, I, I just, You're both I, smirking. Yeah. So I'm like, is this a question you guys got a well, lot and you all, hate? As you know, in the book world, that's literally the question they ask you as the writer of your book when you're making it. Like, who's the audience? And so mm-hmm. one, they want to know there is an audience, as you sure. know. And the other thing, they want to know that you know who your audience is so that then they can be like, if you want that audience and, don't, you know, it's a way to help guide the book. So they asked us that. And we and I think we always it was definitely we knew it was for white people. But then to sort of ask when the, when we're talking in those Zoom meetings about it, we, to say it out loud. And then it became like, well, let's just be clear about it in the book. Because the thing I didn't really want was somebody like you to pick up the book and think that we thought everybody was at the same place not knowing this knowledge. Right. And so I think the idea being that, like we didn't want we didn't want to like just like the book is like written clearly by a black man and a white woman. We didn't combine our voice into one voice either. We wanted people to make sure that like, oh, we know that some people are read into this and some people are not. And generally, the people who are not tend to be white people. And so it it helps sort of, for me, I'm a big believer in, in sort of diffusing the questions that you know you're going to get anyway. So like, so that the minute that like, I, you know, some some activists of color is like, I don't need this. I'd be like, I know. <laughs> so, like, you know. But the thing that I think is important is that you may know somebody who does need this. Mm. Or you may flip through and find some piece of information that you didn't know, which I think is very likely. But I did want people to know, like, you know, the way we talked about it was like we wanted our activist friends to pick it up and be like, this may not be for me, but you did the damn thing. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. And I mean, we were smirking about it because, you know, yeah, we had a lot of discussions about that. And like Kamal said, like, it's a question you have to answer in publishing. And I'm someone who I, I, I always try to avoid that question um, or I resent it not with this but with my previous books with the rad women books because those books were aimed they're like marketed as children's books or and young you know middle grade and young reader and I was always like but look adults are reading these too like I I don't want it to just be shelved here like you know I I I, there's a so there's like a you know they're like the counterculture part of me wants to just like resist categorization and genre, but also let's be real. Who needs books about being less racist? It's white people who needs to be talking and reading and thinking about dismantling and acknowledging white supremacy. It's white people. Um, Also who are most books aimed at white people. So I wanted to be really clear about, so making the decision to be really upfront about that. um, You know, I think that's, that's in a way part of us 
I think kind of modeling what we're trying to do in the book, which is just to be really direct. I think often when we have conversations about race and racism, we a lot of white people do use this we, like as if we are all having the same experience, <laughs> as if there is some kind of universal we when we talk about it, and, and there's not. And again, like Kamau said, that's part of why we wrote the book in dialogue, because we can't write an authentic singular we collective voice right. about what it's like to experience this because it just that doesn't work. <laughs> right. And I, I personally liked that you said it up front because like you said, I knew most of the stuff in the book. I was familiar with it. Like I, I actually am one of the people who has done the reading, you know, <laughs> um, but most of it well before 2020, obviously. Um, but I liked it because then I didn't feel like you were trying to teach me something. I felt like I was, I, I knew where I was too, you know, and I could enjoy it as something as like, I've done a lot of this work. So this is like really extra fun for me and less like stressful emotionally. And I don't feel like I'm being called out for like being a horrible person. Not that you guys do that, but I didn't have like any resistance <laughs> to the book because I knew. Whereas if you hadn't said, I would have been like, why do they think that I need this? this is like, yeah. So remit. Do they think I'm dumb? Do they think I don't know about like redlining or whatever? Yeah. Like, hello, I've been here. So I, I appreciated it. Um, well, I think part that of that too is also as a, for me specifically as a stand-up comedian, I'm very used to breaking the audience down into teams and sides. Mm. And so I think I'm, and what that happens with the United States too, there are times where I will say to the CNN audience, black people, we know blah, 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 blah. Right. And I, sometimes I'll be like, and white people, I know you da, 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 da. Cause not every point is for every person. And, and so for me, it was like very easy to go this. I'm, OK, let me talk to the black people in the book first. If you're black right. in the book, let me talk to you for a second. And I think that's something that comedy can do that other forms aren't as good at is breaking that fourth wall. And so this is why it makes sense that you I don't think you could do a book like this unless it was also funny. Yeah, because I think the funny is the part that makes it that makes it that you can really break the structure and it goes down easier. Do you feel like with your previous books, because you've each written at least one other book, do you feel like being able to name the audience and kind of saying like, hey, white people talking to you made it easier to write versus if you were writing to a more open ended audience? Like, did you feel like having that specificity helped? You know, I feel like what my experience with my other books, it helped. Let's see. This is actually a really interesting like process question for me, because <laughs> what I was trying to do with my with you know so rad american women a to z was the first book i did in that series and that was aimed pretty squarely at young readers but i was really insistent that it not read like a kids book i wanted mm -hmm. to just write in a way that was clear and direct and easy to understand and engaging but that wasn't dumbed down or like you know silly um so i right. really tried to find this kind of like just neutral direct um yet still engaging voice. And with each of the books in that series, I kind of aged it up a little bit um, to the point where the last one, which came out in March of 2020, which was a great time to launch a book, um, <laughs> that, that Rad American History A to Z was a lot more like it was denser, it was longer, um, it was a lot chunkier. But I felt like I was still maintaining this voice of, you know, um, I want this to be read by a young person, I want this to be read by an adult. Um, so I think I, that is a long way of saying that I think that helped me with this book, you know, creating a kind of voice that could speak to a lot of people. But I did also appreciate us naming it up front. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, for me, I think that that's the part of the book that's the easiest for me is the actual sort of like really naming the audience, because I think I do that across the platforms of my work. The thing that was that was required for this book was having 
Kate. <laughs> like I would, I would not. After I wrote my first book, I was like, I, I, I will never write another book again. And my cousin <laughs> now makes fun of me because I said that. Uh, she's like, I thought you said you never write a book again. Uh, <laughs> this is the yeah, part like, where you have to say who your cousin is. No, I know. I like it when you say it. It's more fun that way. Do, Tracy, do you know who his cousin is? No. It's N.K. Jemison. Whoa. Like first cousin. <laughs> like cousin. So yes. your cousin who's familiar with writing as well is what yeah. you're saying. Yeah. yeah, my cousin who knows, knows a thing or two about writing 100,000 words shit. a day. What yeah. in the family relations? Right? In the- Jesus Christ. And I, and, and just to be clear, and I always want to make this clear, especially people who know her, like we're like grew up, like she lived in Mobile, Alabama. I went there every summer. We we lived in, I would, I stayed in my grandmother's house. She came over every day. We would sit on the floor in the sun, in the Alabama sun in the front of the house, which is really the back of the house because of how houses work down there. And we would sit in the sun and she would write and I would draw comic books. And we thought she was going to say, I'm going to be a famous author. And I said, I'm going to be a famous comic book artist. And it all worked out exactly as we planned. <laughs> how did your families raise such, do you have other creatives in your family? Do you come from a creative family? No, no, no. I mean, my mom, I would say my, she on her side definitely does not. <laughs> like, okay. think, uh, my mom is the person who she credits with encouraging her to continue to write. So, wow. uh, yeah, so I came from my, my mom was just like, do whatever you want to do. I believe you can figure it out. But yeah, no, it is not a creative family. We were definitely the, the weirdos, the outliers, the black sheep and the black fam, the black sheeps and the black family. So yeah, it was not, it is not a thing that any, I mean, and I would let her tell the story, but I don't think, I mean, her mom passed away several years ago, but I don't know that her mom even really got it after she won like three wow. Hugos. I don't think she even understood it. That's incredible. Okay, wait, we have to go back <laughs> to whatever you were saying. I'm like, I'm like trying to, my like blacked out, you know, I'm like refocusing. I always um, think, I always think everybody in the knows, but it, it's no. funny to find people who don't know. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I didn't know, but now everyone listening knows too. Mm-hmm. Congratulations. <laughs> we all win. Um, but yeah. you were saying you weren't going to write another book. Your cousin was like, ah, ha, ha. And Kate yeah. was like, let's do it. Is I that- think we, we definitely, this is a collaboration. We did it together. It was 50, 50, but the idea when I first reached out, I think Kate, I was reaching out to Kate go, I have this idea. I think we should do this together. Cause we'd been in conversation about the racial reckoning and in my mind, I was like, I I would only write another book if she said she would do it with me. There was not like a list of people. It was mm. not like, because I was really like, the last experience was so traumatic. But <laughs> I was just like, I don't want to go through that again. But if she says she'll do it, then we can do it. And how did you meet each other? I mean, you know how the Bay Area works. There's like yeah. the, all the cool people tend to find each other. I think, I mean, I, yeah, I yeah. think it's just the, especially if like you're in the site, we're both in this sort of creative, writery, activisty, you know, p- also parents. So there's just yeah. like, you know, if you're not in this, you're eventually going to be in the same room over and over again. And like, so I would go see, I would also, she was doing Solidarity Sundays. So like, I, Melissa, my wife, ended up taking us to Solidarity Sundays. I think Kate said she'd see me do perform before so it's just it's just the the bear it's a small bear after all yeah love it love it oh, greatest place on earth this year for some reason on the podcast we've had so many bay area authors yes. which is like extra than normal which i obviously like always want to talk to people in the bay area because i'm i live in la now and so i miss I'm home sorry. but i'm like always but this this year so many of you Ooh, makes me so happy who else well so Layla Motley was on oh. and she wrote Nightcrawling okay um and then I just interviewed oh I can't tell you who because this episode okay. will come up before someone that I interviewed spent a bunch of their childhood uh their dad was at Stanford 
I had uh, Julie Otsuka who lived in the Bay Area mm-hmm. for a bunch. So it's just like a bunch of, I know I'm forgetting people, but I've had a bunch of like Bay Area people on recently on the show, which makes me thrilled. So can, um, I, can I just say that, um, so I have not had the pleasure of, of meeting um, Leela Motley yet, but uh, I um, was the, I ran and directed the uh, literary arts program at Oakland School for the Arts where she just, oh. where she wrote that, where she wrote Not Crawling and where she just graduated. And uh, oh my good friend was her teach, uh, teacher and is just like they're just exploding with joy it's like it's so 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 exciting she's so lovely and that school as we talked about on our conversation is across the street from the most important wendy's of my life that is open until like 9 p.m and not late enough to even go and get uh frosty and i thought of another bay Area person ingrid rojas Contreras, yes. who's in san francisco she's also on this same month anyways a lot of bear yes we you know it's it's we have a lot of really really great people here yeah, I agree. Um, I want to dig in a little bit to how you two actually worked together. Mm-hmm. Were you using a Google Doc? How? Who was coming with what? How were you dividing it? How were you editing or like critiquing, pushing back? How did the process work? Google Docs all the way. I, our our <laughs> editor, she hates Google Docs. Our poor editor, bless her heart. She was like, oh, so it's going to be all these Google Docs. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, you know, and I think we, I mean, I think the process of this was so 2020 and so slash 2021, we wrote this in Google Docs. We wrote it over Zoom. We wrote it over FaceTime. We wrote it together inside wearing masks before we were vaccinated. We wrote it outside in backyards and on porches until the wildfires were so bad that the air quality required us to go inside and put our masks back on. Uh, We wrote it while our kids were literally running around the table because they could not go to school because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, what what are our, any other modes? Did we do telegrams or? Mm, and we phone call phone calls. Yeah. Occasionally there'd be phone calls. Mm-hmm. And I think that like, and I think the other part about that is there would be times where we would like, okay, come over. Let's, let's write for two hours. And then we would stare at the TV for two hours because <laughs> the nation was under siege. Right. You know? Right, so like right. there was a lot of like, uh, let's, uh, distracted by the, like the things were happening in the news that told us we need to be writing the book, but also, and inform the book, but also we're like making it hard to write the book. Yeah. You know, I was actually just on an interview earlier today. I was talking about how, I mean, I, I, I reference often that we had a deadline, a big chapter deadline on January 6th. Mm. We did not hit that deadline we you know um but we were also writing we were having a whole big writing session on the day that the verdict um that the Derek Chauvin verdict came down and we Mm. were supposed to get a whole bunch done that day and we just sat with any Kamau's and your entire family your mom came in the room and we sat and just watched and experienced that I remember afterwards us just being like so I guess we're not gonna write anything today (laughs) Um, so yeah, we were really writing it in real time. And a lot of, you know, a lot of the conversation in the book is actually the literal conversation we had. We would sometimes use like voice memo to record it, or I'd be kind of frantically typing in the Google doc and asking Kamau to repeat the really funny, smart thing that he just said. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm a big, I'm a big, uh, rambler, old school rambler. So I'll just be talking and talking and talking and talking. And they came like, Ooh, what did you say? Repeat what you just said. (laughs) So it's very organic. And I think that's maybe why the conversation, that's definitely why the conversations in the book feel that way. Cause they, they were there. Some of them were like strictly written, but then a lot of them were talked through. And I want to really give credit too to Kelly Rafferty, our good friend and who works really closely with Kamau. And she was a big part of 
our process and writing it with us and really helping us stay organized, mm. which was incredibly helpful um, in helping <laughs> us think about how to structure uh, the whole thing. And she's also got a PhD in, Kelly, what's your PhD in again? I always get it wrong. Performance studies. Performance studies, yes. Oh, and then cool. you have a, what else? You have a, Women's studies, yes, yes. So, I mean, so it's not just a random friend, <laughs> like a like, fancy friend. And my, and then also my wife. Uh, I want to give credit to my wife Melissa, who uh, has been with. We've been together almost twenty years, so she has been in the trenches of this of this W. Kamal Bell business since nobody, <laughs> since before anybody cared. And so she also is somebody who's like knows my voice and is also will ask. And she has a she has her own PhD. Everybody's got a PhD except for me. Me neither. Uh, don't worry. I don't. I don't. Okay. Okay. Good. The, the, no PhD, the no PhD pod. Uh, <laughs> but like, so she will actually go, what are you trying to say here? What mm. is the thing you're trying to do here? Because then I can actually read this and see if you're pulling it off. So yeah, yeah I'll give her credit too. Were there times where you disagreed with things or felt like you weren't on the same page? Hmm. That's a good question. I think there was like sort of a like, how do we, how do we accomplish uh, this goal? And so there would be some way we could do this. We, there was a lot more like, sort of back and forth of how we pull things off. I think if either of one of us was like sort of dug into a thing, I think a lot of times I felt this, one of us would back off and let that person try to figure it out and then sort of see if it could get somewhere. And then sometimes you would go, you, one of us would go, ah, I couldn't make that work. And then when the other one would be like, I'm not surprised. But you know, like, so there would just be, I think there was just space created for like, if something's really important for, to you and I, and I don't get it, I'm gonna let you go for it. And then we'll see where it ends up. I think, uh, uh, what is it? I always forget the word. The, the, rebus? the rebus. My my dream of a rebus that did not happen. But you really gave me the space to push for it. Yeah, I was like, I was like, I don't really know how to. What do is that, a rebus? Okay, so going back to what Kamau said earlier about the highlights for children, like the rebus, it's like a pictogram where it's a story, and then every few words instead of a word, it's a picture. So it'd be like the okay. squirrel ran up the tree, but it's a little cartoon of a squirrel instead of the word. So I had this if, elaborate. If I, if I just say emojis right here, everybody understands what we're yes, talking about. Yes, it's like <laughs> it's like a story in emojis, but with some words. I had this elaborate vision that I wanted to create a rebus about the construction of race and whiteness in colonial America, leading up to Bacon's <laughs> Rebellion. It was like okay. super 18th century, like history nerd geeky stuff uh and our wonderful designer diane holton who pretty much like took every idea that we had and just ran with it and made it happen that was one where she was like i just i don't think so kate so it just kind of turned into a fairy tale about the construction of race in colonial america oh my god i love that i love that she was like mm, not this time um i just was rem i was just remembering that the first time i ever um when Kamau had his beloved podcast, Politically Reactive, uh, I was our guest on it years ago uh, with my collaborator, Miriam Kleinstahl, who I did the Rad Women books with. And uh, anyway, I remember the first I, I made a joke right away with you on the podcast, Kamau, where you were like, so Kate, like, what are you doing with this book? And I was like, well, you know, I don't really see color. And I <laughs> <laughs> and then you guys actually put that in the podcast. It actually, it played well anyway. I was going to yeah, make no, that, was yeah, we, I was going to make that joke that, you know, it was hard for us to collaborate on this book because I don't really see don't color. Really see color. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Okay. I have two directions I want to go. I can't really decide which one. So I'm just going to go for one. Then we'll come back to the other. One of the things in the book that I really loved that I feel like is maybe when I imagine white people reading it, the most important part is the what to do when you fuck up section. Yeah, because people love that part. Well, I just feel yeah. like so often I am on the receiving end of a fuck up. 
And I'm just like, you could be doing this so much better. Like, you don't have to send me seven paragraphs in a DM explaining why you're not racist and why you're sorry, but also you didn't mean it. And also, and this, and like, and my cousin is black and also my cousin's NK Jemison. And like, I don't. <laughs> and so I just really appreciated that part. And I'm wondering like, if you would sort of speak a little bit about what, what that advice was and why it was important for you all to put it in. Mm. Yeah. What I'm like, it's one of those moments where as a writer, I'm like, what did we say in the book? Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I was, I was, I actually don't think I say this in the book, but I was being interviewed recently and it was a white person asking me and wanting me to talk about that. And she was like, you know, what advice do you have about apologies? And I was like, a good apology doesn't come with caveats. Mm -hmm. And also like, like an apology really doesn't need to be more than two words. (laughs) I'm, I'm, and sorry, (laughs) Um, you know, and then maybe there's some context afterwards, but like you said, it's not a seven paragraph thing and it doesn't come with caveats and like explanations, right? It's, and I think what we try to get at in the book is that, you know, this basic concept of it's about impact, not intent. You know, it doesn't matter if you didn't mean to it, it, someone was hurt. And, uh, I think this is where you come in with the Daniel Tiger quote, Kamal, the great scholar, yeah. Daniel Tiger. We've been doing we've been doing this for we do these interviews for a while. So yes, I for me, having as a black person, as a prominent black person in media, I'm on the business end of a lot of bad white apologies and a lot of bad white equivocation. <laughs> like in my in my life, I mean, you know, going back to the uh, story of being kicked out of the Elmwood Cafe uh, in Berkeley, Berkeley, California, kicked out by white people for because t- they thought a black man was bothering a table of white ladies, not understanding that one of them was my wife holding my baby who was not white, <laughs> and uh, and just the way in which that I quickly found, once they realized that they had fucked up, they us well the manager on duty wasn't there and the and the person who did it there was their first day and <laughs> and the person who kicked you out they were actually not an employee technically like you just go. <laughs> You just told a black man to leave (laughs) because he was because you thought he was bothering white people. And now you're explaining to me why I misunderstood what was going on. And so I have a long history of that. And so a big investment in figuring out how to get people, how to get white people to understand guilt better and shame better and how to use that as a motivator instead of as a shield. And so Mm -hmm. for me, the idea of that was like and again, to quote the great sage Daniel Tiger on PBS in his preschool banger saying i'm sorry is the first step then how can i help and so that's 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 the that's just where and as and you know let me clear this as a man who has who was called out for sexism by one of my best friends martha reinberg earlier in my in my life and career for stuff i did in my work it was like it was very clear to me that like when she called me out privately and said you can't make you can't talk about making you can't talk about ending racism if you're going to make sexism worse mm. and then she and then she gave me examples of how i had done it poorly and then it became a challenge to me like now go out and do it better and so for me that's that's the same thing with when you talk about racism i don't want to hear about the excuses i want to tell you how you can do it better and then see you do it better right and i think it's important to say like i don't know i don't know if you guys know anything about this i don't know if it's cultural i don't know but I, too, have fucked up as we all have. And I'm a black person and I've, you know, done and said things that were inappropriate, whether they were homophobic, transphobic, ableist, whatever. Right. But I, for me, the thing that's always been really difficult about dealing with with white people who fuck up is the way that the apology 
feels like so desperate in a way that like how I was raised when we fucked up in our family, it was always like a very quick like, hey, don't like that. That was fucked up. And then it was like, I'm sorry, whatever. And then we moved on. And I feel like there's a difference culturally for white people where it's like impossible to admit wrongdoing Mm -hmm. and to move forward. And it's like, you know, sometimes my husband does things and I'm like, this is a disaster. You've destroyed my insides for this week. You know, like, I'm so sad you've broken me. And he'll be like, I'm sorry. And then like, we still can have dinner together. Like, I still love this person. And it's like, but with with like these maybe public facing things or like, I don't know. But but in the book, you sort of address that as well, which I found to be really helpful. It's like, just because you fuck up doesn't mean that you're a horrible person. Just because you perpetuate a racism doesn't mean that you're doomed for life to own slaves. Like there's something in between. Doomed. Some people would say privileged to own slaves. Uh, but Perspective. I, think I would say the other thing about that is too, is that I think that as much as we think America just recently started doing a bad job of teaching history with the attacks on CRT, <laughs> most of us grew up hearing that racism was a thing that happened a long time ago. Yeah. And it was always with people with white hats, with the white hoods yeah. and, the, and the, like that racism is a violent thing that happened a long time ago. And mm-hmm. that there's not like levels to this and it's not structural and it's not, it's not about uh, industry and it's not about like, it's not an invisible thing. It's actually, it's, it's a violent thing that happened a long time ago. And so the idea being that like, a lot of white people therefore can't even imagine they did something racist because they mm. didn't light a cross on your lawn and lynch you, <laughs> right. you know? So the, the idea being that like, we have to get past that. And I think that's the same thing. I'm, the same thing I was going around the way thinking that, well, sexism is if I'm like calling women pejorative things to their faces uh, while I whistle at them on the street, that's the sexism. It's mm. not about language that I'm using every day and, and ways in which I'm normalizing sexist language. So the idea being that, like, I think that that's what this book is trying to get to is that you have to understand that there is levels to this. And the thing that I understand is somebody, the faster you get to the apology, the faster you can get to forgiveness and the faster you can get to fixing what you did wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine if when the slaves had landed <laughs> or the enslaved Africans had landed in 1619, that somebody had said, oops, I think we didn't think this through. You know what? If you want to go back, we're going to send it back. We're going to get more boats. They're going to be bigger and nicer to take you back to Africa. If you want to stay, here's money and some places you can live. And we're working with the native folks to make this right. We wouldn't be here right now. January right. 6th would have just been a day on the calendar and not a day of an insurrection. January 6th. You know, <laughs> 1619 Project Part 2 by Kamau. That's the 1776 Project. Right. That's what right. that's going to read like. We came, we said we're sorry, and we gave them all a home. Yeah. Yeah. Really messed this up. Um, <laughs> you know, Tracy, I mean, I think that you're getting at something that's incredibly true and like deeply unspoken about whiteness and white culture, which is that white people, um, we really, really like to be liked. And we're mm-hmm. used to being liked and we're, we're used to people not being mad at us. And we're used mm-hmm. to, you know, the, we don't have a normalized experience of being mistreated um, and, and being rejected and just, you know, and, and again, look, there are all kinds of experiences that white people can have. And there are white people with all kinds of intersecting identities right. that can cause them to experience that. But on a whole with whiteness, we really like to be right. We really like to be liked. And when that is destabilized and we get something wrong, it can send us into this, like you said, a de- there's a desperation and a panic. And because we don't have a normalized experience of, of being rejected um, and getting it wrong. I love to be right. I hate 
and getting it wrong. Same. <laughs> but it happens, you know, but it, but it happens. And, and I really agree, you know, I think, and I've, I've had a few experience, actually, I'll tell a story that there was someone, we just did an event in Portland at Powell's Books, and someone posted on Instagram a thing that was like, Kamau Bell and Kate Schatz shouldn't be doing their event at Powell's. They should take it to the only Black-owned bookstore in Portland, um, you know, and it was like a, one, like a really intense thing. And I saw that, and like I wrote to that person who posted it, and I said, hey, thank you so much for this. I'd never heard of that bookstore. I'm really glad to know about them. Um, Powell's was booked because of the venue size. We really can't change it now, but I'd love to get in touch with that bookstore and maybe we can come in and do a signing. And the person responded and was like, okay, great. Thanks. The the owner's name is Michelle. Uh, And now we've been in touch and we're going to like do a zoom with them uh, and have an event. And it was like, again, that could, I could have been like, I'm so sorry. It wasn't my fault. Somebody else booked it like da 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 da. But it was just like, oh, hey, thanks. Now we know. This is why. This is how. Yeah. Great. Yeah, totally. Okay. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Okay, we're back. 
This is the other thing I wanted to talk about. That's the magic of podcasting. Yes. Ever heard of it? Uh, <laughs> um, artist collaborators. You all had so many different artist collaborators Yay. who helped create this book from a wide spectrum of racial, sexual, gender, et cetera, identities. It was really cool to like look in the back of the book and see the list of all the names and like read their little blurbs and et cetera. How did you find the artist collaborators? What was that process like? And again, why did you want to include so many? Why not go with, you know, just one, one or two? Mm. So I think we have to credit Diane Holton, who our book designer, uh, who is from D.C., uh, I just let's just say you have to DC has to get credit for the good things it does. Fine. The one DC thing in this whole book. No, <laughs> so, but shout out to Oakland again, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shout out to Oakland. <laughs> but yeah, so and Diane, uh, first of all, we we really when we when we can't usually talk about this, but when we set the book up with the with the publisher, we said we wanted to make sure there were more black people on it and involved in it, specifically black women, because as we know, publishing is not necessarily major publishing is not a black industry. So nope. we had a we had them add a black woman editor to the book, Diane Holton. We wanted it to be designed by a black woman. Diane Holton's a black woman woman. And then she went out to go find, because she's a graphic designer and artist, to go find the people we'd collaborate with. And she went out of her way to make sure that it was a diverse group of people and that she was finding people who maybe had never been published in a book before. Cool. Yeah. So it was like, so it's not just, so people who really like would get the assignment. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. yeah, that was all Diane. She commissioned work. I think we have like over 16, 18 um, artists, all artists of color. Um, and that, that was really her. That's what she does in her work. Um, her day job, she works for the AARP. <laughs> she likes, she jokes that she's the youngest person at AARP. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Iconic. Yeah. But she really, I mean, that's like a huge part of her work is like lifting up all of these, all of these artists. And that was again, from the get go that, you know, that's what we wanted to do. And again, the choice to use lots of different arts and illustrators. One is that we wanted to have like that kind of like you know, different looks. Like we wanted it to have a unifying aesthetic theme, but we also liked the idea of having lots of different styles throughout. Um, but it also is a way to create more opportunity for more people. So there are a whole bunch of artists and illustrators who have their first, you know, their first book credit. Uh, and now it's a New York Times bestseller. Congratulations. So like by that's the way, that's a lot that. that's a lot of people that get to add that to their bio now. And that's 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 so cool. That's a, so cool. cool. Yeah. That's so cool. Okay. Racism, big thing, big thing. <laughs> Never <Huge>. heard of it. <laughs> Humongous thing. How, or I guess the question is, what is not in this book that you wish could have been in the book? I mean, I think we there was a lot of like, it's funny when you write a book about racism, but you're also people who want to practice uh, Kimberly Crenshaw's intersectionality. There was ways in which we started to get into other areas. And then mm -hmm. sometimes I'd be like, wait a minute. I mean, that's great that we want to talk about these things and we there's ways to sort of nod at these things or include them, but we can't go too far into other areas that we also would like to, that need an activity book. <laughs> you know, so I think that was one of the things that like for me, it was like I think we, we were we were defining the words and which words we'd use in the book. We got into some words that weren't race specific. Mm -hmm. And at some point it was like, this is good, but also you have to work within the confines if you only have this many pages. So the idea being that like the, we had to, that was, the I think, the hardest thing for me because I'm always not the hardest thing. That was one of the hardest things for me personally was like, cause I'm always trying to be as intersectional as I can in my work because I realized that it's, that it's, it is more helpful and we'll get a, a broader audience that way. So, and it will be more, more useful is really the real thing. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. I would really agree um, with, with what Kamal said, you know, there's, yeah, we would go down so many different paths and it's like, we need to be talking about like 
like trans folks, we need to talk about, you know, this and that. Like, and it was like we had a limited amount of space and we need we do need to keep it relatively focused. I'd say also, you know, we didn't talk about parents and like how to talk to young people that much. We have a little bit of that in the book. Um, and I think we are doing actually a second book that's aimed at young people. So we'll have more of that in there. So that's something that I think we probably could have done an entire chapter just on parenting and talking to kids and helping them understand um, race and racism. But but we we kept that kind of limited too. Yeah, I was as I was reading this, I was thinking about how this could easily be a series of all sorts of different kinds of doing the work, you know. Um, I think which that, I'm sure you've thought. To be honest, that. I don't know that we would we should be the ones writing those other ones. Like I think that these should be a series of books. Maybe you were saying that, but I think no. the idea being like there are there's more work to be done. Uh, but I think that we're not always going to be the ones to do that work. Now we, I think we have learned something through through like the what we did, so we can help people do that work and yeah. sort of guide that. But yeah, I think there's definitely somebody asked, "Are you going to do one about misogyny?" <laughs> like you know, like there's just there's a lot more work to be done. Right. No, for sure. I mean, yeah. You unfortunately, you two do not speak for all humans <laughs> ever and every experience. Um, you talked a little bit about how you sort of would meet up, do things separate, blah blah blah, working together. A very important question that we ask on this show is, how do you like to write? What is there music playing? Are you in the home? Are you outside? Are there snacks and beverages? And that part's very important. Please don't skip the snacks and beverages. Are there rituals, candles, Palo Santo? Is there a, a yoga routine? Like, explain to me how you like to write. Mm. Kamau does like two hours of yoga every morning <laughs> and he has to light a hundred candles and take a bath. Yeah, um, that's all true. That's all very, yeah, very physical and heart healthy. Uh, that's a great, you know, I, I will say that my, I, I don't have a great writing routine. Um, and actually I, I had an office and I, I gave it up at the beginning of the pandemic and, and just didn't end up returning. So my, I mean, I wrote this book when I, you know, it, when I wasn't at Kamau's, I wrote this book on my living room, on the couch, on the dining table with my kids' crap everywhere. Um, you know, I really, I still haven't returned to like a, I don't have like a wonderful little special writing spot with the candles and stuff. But, but we did in working out a lot at, in Kamau's office, we, there was a lot, we listened to a lot of music. We listened to a lot, we credit in the book and our thank yous, we listened to a lot of Hiatus Coyote and Thundercat. And, and 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 a lot of old like Nina Simone. He would just like put on a Nina Simone YouTube channel and just like let it go. Mm. And I'm also going to call you out, Kamau, because Kamau also does like having um, CNN playing on mute in the background on, on TV all the time. So no we, wonder you guys were getting distracted with all this news. <laughs> but he has an outstanding beverage fridge. Oh, talk and about snack it. selection. And so there was yes. always a kombucha on hand. I drank a lot of kombucha and. Okay. We, is there a flavor that speaks to your soul? I like the um, I like a ginger, like a spicy. Oh, oh he's having one right now. Yeah, I what like it. Flavor is that What's clear that? mint? Clear mind. Clear mind. Mm. Oh, yeah. Um, we also ate a lot of um ramen. Ooh, top and, ramen or ordered in ramen from like a real restaurant? Yeah, like ramen. Fancy. I consider supporting my local restaurants very important during yeah. the pandemic. Got so it, got it. Same, same, same. Fancy same, Oakland, same. like bougie Oakland ramen, like super okay. good. Uh, a tiny ramen in uh, in the uptown district of Oakland. I want to shout out. I don't know out. that place. Mm -hmm. yeah, Next uh, time I'm home. Yeah, a tiny ramen. But uh, so, yeah, I would say that like right before the pandemic hit, we had converted our, our garage into an office for me, which we okay. didn't know how important that was going to be. So 
a lot of it happens in here. And I'm a person who needs to sort of like, like, like I need to be separate from people. And I need, if I'm going to write, I need to just sort of, I need to create my own space. So there is a lot of music listening, but it's got to be, uh, either. Yeah. It's got to be instrumental music or music. I've heard a lot before. It can't be something that I'm new to a lot of John Coltrane, a lot of Nina Simone, a lot of lo-fi YouTube music channels, like where they just, the the lo-fi jazz channels, lo-fi hip hop. Yeah, so it, it starts at my desk here where I am at now, and then at some point it ends up with me on the floor upside down like this, <laughs> <laughs> with the laptop on my face. So, and I also I also need a little bit of panic to really get it going. So the okay. deadline needs to have like really either approached and it's smacking me in the face, or it's about to pass, and it has to be. So then it's like, ah! like it's it's, a pa- it's like everything that I did wrong in high school when a term paper was due, I'm still doing for all my professional projects. So I love this for you. Yeah. So, and then, and yes, there's a lot of, uh, uh, kombucha. That was a big, I went through a big kombucha phase cause I was trying to phase out a Red Bull. So I, okay. which I have cleared the Red Bull out. Uh, a lot of, uh, my wife likes good coffee. So there's a lot of good coffee. And then, um, we have a thing here, uh, we called, okay. During that happened a lot called afternoon chocolate that you just Ooh. get chocolate in the afternoon sometimes to get you through the afternoon. So what kind of, of different... chocolate is it? Is it Hershey's? Is it a, oh, no, is no, it a good no, Iva no, moment? No, is no, it like no, fancy not, chocolate? Not your, not your airport chocolates. No, 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 no. Uh, although I do like C's is sold in airports. I do like a good, like Love a C's. C's. I'm a big, like hard toffee covered in, in chocolate or hard mm. toffee covered in chocolate and nuts. I'm a big hard toffee. Guy, God, same. But, uh, yeah. Love hard yeah. toffee. Yeah. So shout out to C's hard toffee. Okay. Before we go, I'm. we got to talk about spelling. I am a notoriously horrible speller. In your book, you both mentioned how you cannot spell privilege, which I obviously took a note about because I ask everyone on the show the word they cannot spell correctly. I felt seen because that's one of my many words. And I'm going to ask you each a word you can't spell correctly, but you, neither of you can say privilege. You got to come up with a different one because that's already in the text, you know? Okay. Oh, my God. I- that, and, and I'm going to say I am a really good speller. Are like, you? Yes. That's what I was going to say. I'm actually not that bad a speller. I'm an oh ed- like, I'm well, but that's and that's part of why privilege is such a difficult word for me because it makes me so mad that I still struggle with it because I really am like I'm a prideful speller. Um, oh, but wow, here, one of those. Guess what? The other word is that is really hard for me, and it's ironic because it's connected to privilege. Um, it's acknowledgement. Ooh. Ooh. I thought you were going to say white. No. (laughs) That one I got. Uh, No, acknowledge. The word acknowledge and acknowledgement still messes me up. So all the times in this damn book when I was typing acknowledge your privilege, Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, God. (laughs) Like a minefield of spelling It's like a D-G-E, like that particular letter combo messes with me. That's a good one. I would say I can't. There's an area of words that I'm not good at. So I can't think of anyone in particular, but any words that... Any of those os, os, so gaseous. Oh, mm. nauseous. Uh, nauseous. Like you, like sometimes there's an I, sometimes there's an E, sometimes yeah. there's both an I and an E and an O and a U, and sometimes any of those sort of like, I like because they seem to be, there's very different ways you can get to that, uh, that shus, I guess it is. That yeah. shus. Those are and, good ones. And they always, yeah. although, although I'm very proud of the fact that, I, that uh, I've always remembered from when I was a kid watching Sesame Street, that shun t i o n shun 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 t i o n. I'm old. 
don't know that. <laughs> no, it's old school. But but I'm, my kids know that too now because I taught okay. it to them. So okay, it's a, yeah, passing it passing on. Oral tradition. Yeah. Oral, tra- um, oral tradition. Okay, another thing I really want to quickly touch on. You already mentioned your New York Times bestsellers. Kamau, you have recently become an Emmy, multi-Emmy nominated person for your uh, We Need to Talk About Cosby, which I watched and is fantastic. I don't really have a question. I just am sort of plugging it for people who haven't seen it yet. I guess my question is, do you feel like... I don't even, I don't, I, I, I love honestly, that, I love that the, the, you're like, your mom got really so big. I have so many like, questions yeah. because yeah, yeah. it's so good. You ha- also had former Stacks guest, Tressie McMillan Cottom on the, in the movie. Ooh. So I was very excited because Ooh. she I mean, is she, the, you, we call the mic dropper, the mic dropper. That was, yeah, yeah. A dream. I mean, it's filled with famous people and also Mark Lamont Hill also on the show. Um, I, I don't have a question. Have you I had guess. Jelani Cobb on the show? It seems no, like you'd be on not show. yet. And Jamel Hill has a book coming out in October, so Jamel, that's another I, person I'm hoping to get. <laughs> yeah, you, yes, I will. I will try to help that happen. So. Oh my God, please. Um. Anyways, the movie or the movie is a series, four parts. It's so good. Breaking news was happening as it was as it was being made, which was also really. It's, it's just uh, the whole thing. It's so good. If you want your stomach to hurt, watch it because I felt sick. Literally, I was like, I can't watch another one tonight. Like, I'm. I appreciate that. That's a good. I appreciate that's a good review. It doesn't sound like a good review. No, it's the best. It's like when the things make you feel. When you feel that, like, holy shit, this thing is. It's all. Anyways, this is a book podcast. But shout out to that. Congratulations. Hopefully, you're going to be a winner, and it's going to be even better. But it's an honor to be nominated. (laughs) For for one of the categories, I'm up against uh, Sir David Attenborough. Uh, and uh, a guy who used to be president of the United States, uh, Barack Hussein Obama. Heard He's, of him. We're, Heard we're, of I'm him. up against those two and Lupita Nyong'o and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. So it's an honor to be nominated. It's just, it's a, it's kind of like the easy category for you. It's like sort of the one that's like who, you know, it's you're a lock because no one's even heard of those other people. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> as, as my friend uh, said, yeah, don't worry, don't worry about your speech on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Good friends, good friends. Okay, last two questions. One is for people who love this book, do the work. What are some other books you might recommend to them? With the caveat that for people who have read this book and picked it up, there is a huge reading list in the back of this book. So there are plenty of recommendations. But if you want to just throw out one or two, we would appreciate it. Hmm. I would recommend a series of books called uh, Rad American women uh a to z i think that if you like this book you're gonna like the writer of that other book i actually think in the same way and just to give kate some more uh credit i read it to my four-year-old and i was like is this really for kids and i meant that in a great way like because i was like i was learning as i was it didn't it does not feel like a kid book in the way but it does but it's appropriate for kids i think Mm. so but it doesn't it doesn't feel like it's trying to make anything cute it's just trying to make things clear uh, and also, uh, Ijoma Uluo's, um, So You Want to Talk About Race, so is good. another one that I think is like a fun, accessible, but not fucking around way to talk about racism. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say um, a book that just came out actually like two days ago and uh, is Elaine Castillo's new book of essays, How to Read Now, yeah. um, where she's really talking about like how white supremacy fucks us up as readers and thinkers and like really I just so I'd say for people who listen to this podcast who are probably into books and readers like if the idea you know read that that book and I loved her novel uh, America's Not the Heart is incredible but that this new book of essays is is fire by Elaine that's 
Elaine Castillo's new book. And then um, I would also say, I mean, I think if people haven't read um, Resma Menachem's My Grandmother's Hands and then um, his more recent book, I think it's The Quaking of America. I think his approach to somatic anti-racism, I think for people who are emotionally like are having the kind of reaction of like, oh, like it's like so hard for me to think about so mm-hmm. for both for white people who are it's hard for them to think about and like feel the feelings. Um, and then I think, of course, for for folks of color who are dealing with like the real bodily and somatic and emotional impact of white supremacy, I think his books mm. um, are so important. Amazing. Amazing. Great recommendations. Last question for each of you. If you could have one person dead or alive read this book, who would you want it to be? I did not expect that question, Tracy. <laughs> I only ask it every week, Kate. Oh, my God. <laughs> Gosh. Give a shot. <sighs> I'm going to let come out, come up with it first. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, there's so, everybody I'm thinking, like, I wouldn't really want to know. <laughs> wait, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stall here by saying one more book recommendation, actually, okay. because um, the Black Panther graphic novel um, mm. that, that came out last year that just won, like, big Eisner Award at Comic-Con. Um, and actually, um, Marcus Kwame Ander- uh, Anthony... Anderson, who did the illustrations for the Black Panther graphic novel, also did the little cartoons of us in our book and do the work. Um, That graphic novel is such a great history of the Black Panthers. And I'm going to tell a short anecdote while we figure out our answer to your incredibly hard (laughs) question. But no, just last night, I actually was at an art opening in Oakland and had my nine-year-old son with me. And we met um, Erica Huggins from the Black Panther party. And um, my son... We had like we were chatting with her and I said said to him, you know, this is Erica Huggins from the Black Panther Party. And his jaw dropped like my little white nine year old son's jaw dropped. His eyes got wide. He couldn't believe he was meeting her and he was so excited. And she was like, how do you know who I am? And he was like, (laughs) because I read the graphic novel about the Black Panthers. So that's my shout out for that book and how my son is now enamored um, and knows that history. Um, all I right. think you just came. You just came with your answer, though. I, okay. I mean, you just, there you go. You just, I'd like Eric Huggins to read this book. No. Yeah, it's possible because she lives here. You can just, <laughs> nah, you can just just drop it off. Just, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I was going to steal that from you. I was like, no, that's Kate's. That's a uh, Erica Huggins because I think Erica Huggins would get it because she knows that this work takes on different forms and different for different functions. So uh, I'm going to say I'm going to say we've mentioned this person before. I would say Nina Simone because I think mm. Nina Simone really understood the power of art to make to sort of lead to change like she you know to think that she heard about you know the the racial terrorism in the south and turned it into mississippi goddamn and if you listen to the version of that song the definitive live version of that song it's clear that she has a sense of humor about it too uh <laughs> this is a show tune but the show hasn't been written for it yet <laughs> like, like so i would say nina simone I love it. Thank you both so much for being here. Everyone, the book Do the Work is out in the world wherever you get your books. Please pick up a copy. Maybe grab one for the whites that you know. (laughs) Or if those people are you, grab one for yourself. You know, whatevs. Kate, Kamal, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. Thank you for having this podcast. Yay. (laughs) We will see everyone in the stacks. All right, y'all, that does it for us today. Thank you so much to W. Kamau Bell and Kate Schatz for joining us today. And also a huge thank you to Alana Gold for helping to make this interview possible. Our book club pick for August is How to Write an Autobiographical Novel by Alexander Chi. And we'll be talking about that book on August 31st with Ingrid Rojas Contreras. If you love the show and want inside access to it, head to patreon.com slash the stacks and join the stacks pack. 
please make sure you're subscribed to The Stacks wherever you're listening to your podcasts. If you listen through Apple Podcasts or Spotify, be sure to leave us a rating and a review. For more from The Stacks, follow us on social media at The Stacks Pod on Instagram and at The Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter. And check out our website, thestackspodcast.com. This episode of The Stacks was edited by Christian Duenas with production assistance from Lauren Tyree. Our graphic designer is Robin McCrite and our theme music is from Tagirajis. The Stacks is created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas. 